G'day everyone, welcome back to For the Love of Brick, a fortnightly podcast where I talk to people from all over the world about their love of Lego. Now before I get into this episode, first things first, I'd love to say thank you to everyone who has supported us over the year. We, I think it was the last episode, we hit our one year anniversary and, and like all boys, I forgot to celebrate it. But look, in all honesty, it means a lot that everyone has supported me, um, subscribed, told their friends, and just generally listened to the podcast, because I didn't think people would want to listen to me rabbit on, but you did. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you. And remember, tell your friends. So now time to get down to the nitty gritty. This week's episode, I chat with award-winning jeweler Amiko Oi. Amiko's from the US and boy does she create some bold and colourful and beautiful jewellery using Lego. Today we chat about Amiko's Lego journey and her career. We also have a chat about her numerous shows and her works that have made it into museums. Yes, Lego is in a museum. So take that, people that don't think we're artists. (laughs) Um, We also chat about her process of making the jewellery and what inspires her. We also discuss her collaborations with Lego and how that all came about. But look, that's enough from me. So sit back and enjoy today's episode of For the Love of Brick. Hello, Amiko. Thanks for coming on my podcast. Thanks for having me, Greg. Yeah, it's it's a pleasure. I'm glad to get a jeweler on. Um... Because it's it's a totally different area of Lego building, and I know a lot of the um, diehard Lego fans are like, "Don't destroy Lego." Yes. Um, I'm not one of those. Oh, good. You can do whatever you want. You bought it. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Exactly. <laughs> um, but first off, before I get too deep, um, can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Yes. So I am in San Francisco, California, and I've been here for 20 some years. So I was born in Cleveland, Ohio, and decided I didn't want to deal with snow ever again, unless I wanted to. So (laughs) (laughs) moved out here to San Francisco, and uh, this is my home for sure. And what I love about being here is the, um, the jewelry community. There's quite a long history of jewelry making, uh, studio jewelry, uh, going back to modernism in the 50s and uh, being part of the Metal Arts Guild here. um, I was very active with that organization and the president and on the board. And um, we have some pretty important modernist jewelers that come from the Bay Area. So uh, it's just seemed a natural place to grow my business here. And you said there's like a metal arts guild. Is that? Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's one of, the, one of the oldest, not the oldest, but one of the oldest guilds in the country uh, established in 1951. Oh, wow. Still going strong. Yeah. And I love how it's got guild in there. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's Just- right. Yeah. I started off dreaming that I'd be a fashion designer when I was, you know, a kid growing up and actually went. Uh, to school for fashion at Syracuse University. And once I was in the program, I realized how diehard that industry is. Um, 
to the point of one of my fellow classmates said to me, I really like your name. Do you mind if I use your name as my design name when I graduate? I was like, are you kidding me? That's my name. And then I'm like, do I really want to be in this industry? And even my high school art teacher was like, I don't think you're cut out for fashion design. And I was like, oh, trying to prove him wrong, but he was right. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah, the, the jewelry community is much more welcoming and willing to share information than the fashion industry. And curiosity, what was the, the girl's, oh, you probably don't want to say anyway, but was it like Sharon or something? She's like, I need a fancier name than that. I don't even remember her name, honestly. I remember her face, but, and she was talented. So I was thinking, why do you need my name? Yeah, that's it. Oh, well, yeah. you know, <laughs> copying <laughs> is the, isn't it the sincerest form of flattery or something, but just keep your own name. Uh, yeah, just keep your own name. <laughs> but I can still see within your jewelry, um, you, you do still go back to your fashion roots. Like it's. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, it was always very there. theatrical. Yeah, even yeah. in my fashion design, it was more theater design, and yep. um, I merged kind of into theater when I came out here to San Francisco. Did some costume and set design for smaller black box theaters, and realized this is too hard. <laughs> 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 I'm getting paid no money and working too long, too hard. I yep. want to do something that's I'm my own boss. Yeah, and black box theater are basically like um, community theater and so forth, and little right. black box. They are what they are. I I work in a black box theater, so ah, yeah, great community, but yeah, you struggle. Oh yeah, um, yeah. I'm an audio engineer, obviously, uh, <laughs> and okay. yeah. So oh, that's cool. Um, and so what? got you into jewelry like you know what was the the shift from you know saying oh fashion to then just going okay well i'm not doing that um i'm yeah. going to sort of transition into doing jewelry well i i double majored at syracuse in fashion and jewelry oh okay yeah so i got my bfa in metalsmithing with a minor Ooh. in fashion by the time i finished and, um, and, but I never thought I would use it as a career. It just yep. seemed like a fun way to study and be in school. Um, <laughs> and it wasn't until I moved out here and found this whole community and started working as an assistant for another, another metalsmith, um, a few metalsmiths actually, yep. to realize, hey, you could really make a living out of this, doing what you love and making art. Um, it, it still, it, it still was a struggle in the beginning, but it was a struggle that I was more than happy, um, to live with. Um, yep. so yeah, I, I didn't start in, uh, in Lego. I started more traditionally yep. as most students start traditionally and, uh, and really love plastics and found objects. So there's this place called scrap here in San Francisco scroungers center for recycled art parts. Oh, okay. And it's amazing. It's this big warehouse where people just bring random stuff. Companies bring leftovers and refuse and the public just brings scraps of whatever. And so it's an artist and teacher's dream. Yeah. And 
I love buying like multiples of things. Like just give me like a whole bin of like plastic price tags on the floor and I can like think of something to make with it. So I was finding a lot of uh, recycled plexiglass, plexi sheets. Yep. And then cutting them into pieces and doing more fashion jewelry with those. Um, but that was a lot of work to cut and polish and, um, you know, using all my metalsmithing skills, but on a plastic level. Yeah. And uh, this woman I was working for, Harriet Estelle Berman, she works in recycled tin, you know, like the cookie okay. tins you get at the holidays and things. Um, she has a whole garage full and she's been doing this for decades. And her son at the time, I think he was in uh, middle school. He was into Lego robotics. Yep. And was really good at it. And so their whole house was just filled to the brim with Lego parts everywhere. <laughs> and so Harriet says, you know, why don't you just try using Lego as, as a material instead of having to like make your own pieces all the time for, you know, earrings that aren't going to, you know, you're not going to be able to charge that much for as a fashion yep. piece. And the, uh, the Lego store had just opened at the mall down the street from her. And then I went in and I was like, oh, <laughs> the pick a brick wall. Yeah. Like, is this, I'm in a, I'm in a candy store. Where am I? <laughs> and your wallet's like, no. no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so working with plastic, um, yeah. it's, to me, I would think it's not a very forgiving medium because once you drill a hole or yeah, cut something, exactly. it's done. You can't weld that back together or melt mm -hmm. it down. Um, this is true. How do, you, how do you go about sort of, let's say, even planning to do that? Or you're just like, Greg, I'm just that skilled. I, I just do it. <laughs> what is this A lot of planning? happy accidents. You just work with it <laughs> or start over. Yep. Yeah, a lot of starting over and many hours at um, the polishing machine and the belt sander. Okay, so you can sort of polish it out if you've... Yeah. I guess, yeah. yeah. Not, the, not the most environmentally um, <laughs> friendly material either, you know, and you have yeah. to be very oh, cautious and aware of how to protect yourself and, and your own health. And uh, even like 10, 15 years ago, people weren't so aware of the hazards of like breathing in the dust and the particles. So yep. I was glad not to go back into that realm. Yep. Okay. So I was about to say, so you were wearing masks before they were cool. Mm. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, well, that's sort of, I guess, what got you back into using Lego. Um, did you have Lego yourself when you were a, when you were little? You know, okay. So I dug out from, um, my studio, the two sets that I got when I was four years old. And I was oh, amazed. Thanks, Mom, Dad. This is the Aldish. I know that your listeners can't see this, but this is set number 268. It's the family living room set. <laughs> nice. Uh, from 1978. And then this one, I think, was so great. This was um, when I was born, this set was made. This is set number 105. Before oh. minifigs, I believe, in 1974. So yeah. my uncle got these for me for Christmas. And, um, you know, I wasn't really old enough, technically, to have them. Yep. But 
I was a good kid. I didn't eat and swallow stuff. So uh, I was about to say that was that was yeah. yeah. They're still in, in their boxes, like as in you know, obviously played with, but you've still got the and they're looking good, Nick. Wow. Yeah, not not too bad, not too bad. So I thought I better just keep them as they are. Yeah. But other than those, no, I uh, was not interested. Was more interested in like Barbies and fashion plates and seaweeds, bath dolls, and things like that. More girly things. Yep. Um, and it wasn't until Harriet told me, "Hey, go down to the Lego store and check out some parts," that I that I revisited the magical world that we now know. Yep. And what sort of uh, what attracts you to using Lego, like? Like for me, for your jewelry side of things, um, one of your collections that mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. Um, and it's just because it's the kid in me. I think it's your kid's jewelry line um, yeah. just because it's really bright and colorful and I'm a child. Um, <laughs> Aren't we all? <laughs> but what sort of, yeah, what did... I know you saw the pick a brick wall and you're like, oh, but yeah, yeah, what was the defining factor? You're just like, like, did you take it home and you're like, I'll give it a crack or yeah, sorry. I don't even know if that's a question, but yeah. Yeah, what- no. Um, well, at the time I was doing some local like jewelry and craft fairs yep. in San Francisco and what had just cropped up and this was in 2006, I think, um, Maker Fair. Okay. had just cropped up and uh, they were originated here in San Mateo and grew to be more uh, international as the years went on. And so I was just tinkering around and just made some bracelets, real rudimentary, you know, just to test the market using that stuff from the pick-a-brick wall. Um, and I was fascinated at people's reactions. Yep. They were so intrigued uh, because a, it was Lego, if they knew it was Lego. And some people didn't. They just loved the colors and the versatility and that you could wear it, you know, you could wear it washing the car if you wanted to, you know, you didn't have to be precious about it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and uh, and then it just got me to keep refining it and making it better. And then finally, um, there was this call for entry for um, exhibition work. And so as, as a jeweler, I like to straddle two worlds simultaneously. The more retail fashion market, you know, seasonal changes, make something new every season kind of arena. And then also the more considered one of a kind, limited edition art pieces that may have a concept behind them. Uh, you may not wear them all the time. Some people may not wear them at all and rather just, just display them. Yeah. Uh, these pieces go to like galleries and museums. And so I like to straddle both worlds so that I don't, don't ever get pigeonholed into one, you know, <clears throat> trade or another and always keep them guessing. And it, the work informs each other. So yep. that the fashion work sometimes inspires the bigger work and vice versa. Um, okay. Yeah. So then, you know, once I started realizing, oh, the public's really into this, uh, I entered this call for entry for this show that was a groundbreaking show at the time in the jewelry, art jewelry, craft world. Yeah. Uh, it was called Touching Warms the Art. 
And this was in Portland at the Contemporary Center for Contemporary Craft. And they're no longer around. But the, the idea was the artist would make work that the public could interact with. So it's also one of oh. the early interactive kind of shows. Yeah. You know, normally yeah. you go to a museum and you're not allowed to touch anything. Yeah. Like now, right? Six feet apart. Yeah. <laughs> <your> distance. <laughs> but the fact that you could interact with artwork that, that wasn't for sale, that wasn't like a retail shop where you could pick stuff up, um, but, but get people to understand that jewelry could be something more than what you see at the department store. Yep. or in the mall. Um, and so I was like, Lego is the perfect medium for this, for people to uh, touch it, interact with it. I didn't have to worry about it being too precious or breaking. Um, and then it would go into that museum's permanent teaching collection, which oh, okay. was also a great honor. So I had to think about something that would last that long. Um, and then I made my first big piece, which became the... Uh, beginning of my first Royal Jewels collection. Ah, okay. Yeah, they they look very impressive and very close to the to the originals that they're they're off. Like with with doing the Royal Jewels, how yeah. how do you go about like obviously you've got a lot more choice nowadays, but yeah, how do you what is your process? Yeah, well, that's a great say, question. For, for building. Usually um, my inspiration is, I, I, well, before, before the last year. So I used to go to museums a lot. Uh, and, you know, here in San Francisco, we have some amazing museums. Uh, the De Young Museum is fantastic. Of course, MoMA. And uh, once in a while, they'll have a big jewelry show. So like I've seen a Cartier show a few times, a French jewelry, um, Lalique, uh, Tiffany. And, you know, I love the sparkle as a jeweler. It's like, give me some sparkle. I'm yep. in and seeing these pieces from, uh, you know, turn of last century or even earlier and even Victorian era and just how opulent and yet the stories behind them which was fascinating to me like going from different kingdoms you know Spain to England and uh, how things would travel and get redesigned and reassembled depending on who was on the throne yeah and so that was more than just a pretty piece right or with the Maharajas in India and so I wanted to share some of that story with the public and get people a little bit more educated about the history of jewelry. Um, and um, like the Duke and Duchess of Windsor uh, and, yep. and, this, and the way that they, their relationship was a lot based on the jewelry gifts they would give each other. Um, so oh, okay. that, that was like the Royal Jewels collection came out of that inspiration of seeing that those work in person behind glass and then coming home and, you know, I'd always buy the catalog and I work a lot on the computer to design. So I'll take oh, an okay. image. Yeah. And scan it in and through Photoshop, pixelate and distort and really minimize the image. So it becomes Lego like. Yep. Okay. Sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so that's how I start working is from just a real basic template that I can then 
manipulate size wise, you know, print it out to scale or bigger, you know, what I think would work well on the body or blow it up. So it becomes like a tribal, um, kind of scale instead of your more delicate, like Cartier scale. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, sweet. Yeah. Cause I was about to say, yeah, do you work in the computer and well, you just answered that question. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, <clears throat> in the beginning, when I was first doing this, uh, my dad's cousin who lives in San Jose, her son was growing out of his Lego, either that, or she just wanted to clean the closet. I'm not sure which. Uh-huh. <laughs> But she came over with like five or six sets from like the AquaZone series from the late 90s. Yep. And she's like, here, do whatever you want. I know you've got a show coming up. Um, Go to town. And so that was like manna from heaven because I just dumped everything out on the floor in my apartment and just started uh, playing, you know, like. First, I would build the set so I understood how the parts work together since I hadn't been a Lego builder growing up. Yep. I wanted to understand, like, how can this piece be used and how could it be used in a jewelry way with the hinges and the Technic pieces and things. Okay. And, and then, of course, trying to uh, always trying to simplify, which is hard. You know, you want to use all the good parts, but you also don't want it to look like it came out of a crazy person. So um, <laughs> trying to work more monochromatically <laughs> <laughs> and then sourcing what I needed, you know, cause there's always a few pieces that are like the best piece, but then I need six more pieces of the same thing. And how do you source um, those pieces? Are you, uh, I use, I use Bricklink. You, so you know, but yeah, well, you would know about Bricklink. Yeah. <laughs> That's a oh, dangerous yes. I, place. It is, yes, many thousands of dollars later. Yep. <laughs> All tax deductible. But, you know, well, right, right. And, uh, and it also helps me figure out how to price things too. So like if I've sold a big, a big piece and have to go back and figure out the cost of goods sold, you know, from a business accounting point of view, I can go through Bricklink and see like, oh, well, the value of that is this much now because that color is no longer in manufactured or that piece is no longer being made. Yep. Supply and demand. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> um, and do you still do market stalls and stuff or you're like, nah, well, actually you probably don't because of COVID. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's true. Um, I had that at the height I was doing, craft shows like around from 2010 until 2016 or so. Okay. So I was doing juried shows like um, the American Craft Council show, the Smithsonian um, show in DC, and then a few select um, museum, smaller museum and galleries here in the Bay Area. So I didn't do the big circuit. Like I know some craftsmen do the whole you know west coast or they spend all their time on the road but yeah uh, that wasn't the way that worked for me because i'm also doing wholesale with galleries and museum shops so that i don't have to leave the house yeah sweet um now you also said that the jewelry community uh is very friendly and welcoming and so forth what yeah what did everyone do when you started using lego like you know what sort of 
Was it like, oh, you're using a kid's toy? Or was it like, <laughs> like you're using Lego? Wow. Yeah, well, the the craft field was that second, like, ooh, how cool was that? And at the time, there weren't really that many people using it. Uh, and I, there's no one that's using it quite like I'm using it. So yeah. I'm lucky for that, that I was sort of at the forefront of that. And at the time when I was starting making jewelry in the late 90s, alternative materials was just starting to kind of hit the public eye and they people weren't really sure what to think about it. But then with like the DIY um, explosion in like the early aughts and Etsy and all these other places that were encouraging and being more accepting of people using alternative materials, then it became like the hot thing. And uh, what I learned early on that would be advice I'd give anyone is um, taking really amazing editorial pictures of your work is the way for people to know about you. And I got amazing press I didn't have to pay for because I shot all my own work yep. and um, the press just picked it up. So it just took off that way. Um, yeah, that's the thing. It's like, you know, you do the work for them and they will, they will pick it up. Taking good pictures is, well, it's a must, especially now. And it's so easy to do yeah. as well. Like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, especially now because, you know, our, our phones are so much better equipped to take amazing pictures. Yeah, that's it exactly. And yeah. so we talked a little bit about inspiration before, um, but let's go for uh, when you are doing your exhibitions. Because do you you exhibit by yourself nowadays? Like if like do you do your own exhibitions, or are you usually tied in with other people, or? It's a mix. It's a mix. Um, yep. I recently had a solo show right before 2020, thank God, before Corona hit. I yep. had a show in Cincinnati at Ombre Gallery, and we traveled it to New York City for New York City Jewelry Week, oh, nice. uh, which was fantastic. It was the, thir the third year, the third year of, of Jewelry Week. And um, great exposure and just, you know, to, to say you had your solo show in New York city is like every artist's dream. Right. Yep. Um, but that's a rare thing to have solo shows, um, all the time. So usually you're in a group show, uh, it's, it's a, based on a theme and most of the time it's for me, it's around alternative materials. Yep. So like for instance, um, I was down in New Zealand in two three years ago, almost exactly to the yep. day down in New Zealand in Wellington for uh, the Douse Museum had a show called The Language of Things. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then there was a, a handful of U.S. artists that were involved, but my work luckily was able to go and be in part of that show. Um, and, and so that that's just wonderful because then you're getting even more exposure yeah. internationally. And, and Lego's the international language. Well, that's it. And New Zealand. It's so lovely in New Zealand. Ah, oh, if only we could all retire there. I was about to say Wellington. That's very, um, that's sort of very San Francisco weather, is it? Because it's very sort of yes. rainy. It's like Melbourne. It's a bit rainy. It's a bit cold. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, of course, we were there in, your, in fall, right, because it's fall now. Well, April, fall-ish. 
for yeah. you over there, right? Yeah, yeah, sort of. Yeah, it's not hot. Yeah, it's it's we, we're getting winter. <laughs> yeah, it's getting cold and wet. So we were we were very familiar with the weather. <laughs> yeah, you like this? We're back home. Um, yeah. To me, I've I've never known about jewelry exhibitions. Like you know, it's not the world I live in. Um, yeah. And yeah, I was really surprised that that is a thing um yeah. but doing your solo show because that would yeah. have been a big leap what was the sort of driving factor for that and how do you prepare to do your own show like what's the sort of lead up time and, and well it all just depends on um who's hosting it and how you got there so like yep. for my first show in 2008 that came off the heels of me doing that big first big piece for Portland yep. um, museum of craft and design here in San Francisco heard about that show, saw my work, saw that I was local and, and said, Hey, um, we'd love to give you a solo show in October. And this is like April or something. Uh, can you do it? And I was like, uh, well, yes, I'll say yes to a solo show, but oh my goodness, I need to make a huge body of work in like five months or something. Yeah. So um, that's when you like go in your own personal lockdown <laughs> and don't do anything else except create and make in a frenzy. Not the ideal way to create, but you know, I was younger then and, um, you know, sleeping four hours a night was a normal thing. So, yep. uh, you know, I didn't have much time to prepare, but I think most artists would agree that deadlines do help. Yeah. Get it done. Yes, yeah. it does. You got something to work towards. Oh. Right. And then my purpose really with that show was to educate the public. People like, you know, you were saying, I didn't realize that um, you know, these art jewelry shows are a thing. And yeah, it is kind of a small circle because you don't often see, or you didn't often see jewelry even represented in the major museums. Yep. Until even more recently, like the, the Met New York Metropolitan Museum of Art just acquired uh, a quite a large collection a few years ago and, and then started showing it to the public. So people are aware of, hey, this is a whole other realm of, of art and craft that um, has its place and importance in the world of art. So that was my uh, idea is that use Lego as uh, the stepping stone for people to come in, yep. dip their toe in and realize, hey, there, this is a thing, right? And, and jewelry can be anything and uh, it can be fun and it can be empowering. And so for my show, similarly, I had people able to try the work on. And then this was before, um, you know, smartphones had the capability they did. So we were using Flickr, you know, people could take pictures of themselves uh -huh. and post it on, on the uh, museum's website through Flickr and um, social share. And that was kind of the beginning too of uh, socially sharing stuff. So um, making it more of a ceremonial thing to handle jewelry too, like teaching people how to uh, handle jewelry with respect and not yep. just toss it around as if you're in, you know, the mall. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't like a $2 and, earring, just. <laughs> right, right. And, and then the history behind it and give them some story about 
you know, how the original, like the, how the Cartier piece, what the story behind that was and, um, and, and the work of the Maharaja. So uh, that was very exciting to introduce that whole new realm to the public and then have that get some press and people can read about it yep. um, and, and be intrigued to learn more. Yeah, no, that, yeah, it's, and as I said, it's Lego, so I love it. Uh, <laughs> um, speaking of Lego, how have they, how have they um, reacted? Like, how has it been working with Lego? Like, you know, have yeah. you run into any problems or have they been like, oh, this is the best thing since Lego? <laughs> <laughs> You know, I am lucky that I chose uh, a product that company is so welcoming with open arms to the people that purchase their product. You know, had I chose uh, Disney or Mattel or any other company, those artists really have to be careful. And they all, you know, they get their lawyers writing letters like cease and desist letters. So I am lucky in that Lego doesn't do that, first of all, and that they've been uh, very welcoming to me. And we've had uh, a few years of collaborations and interactions that have just been lovely. And um, yeah, you have been collaborating with them or like we've have- done some. Yeah. So um, are you allowed to speak in- about that? <laughs> yes, I'm allowed to speak. <laughs> I know something you can't speak about. Uh, it was back in 2016. I was in L.A. for a show that uh, one of my, my, my Maharaja's sixth necklace had been acquired by uh, the Los Angeles County Museum of Art through a collector's donation oh, nice. and was the show called Beyond Bling. Yep. Nice. And um, and so because we were in L.A., we went to the opening, we went to dinner after and I was wearing a huge piece of mine that I normally don't wear a big exhibition piece uh, to a restaurant, but I'm like, it's the opening. I'm in LA. Let's do it up. And we went to this little Italian restaurant, sat down, the people next to me looked over and they're like, don't want to disturb you, but is that Lego you're wearing? (laughs) And (laughs) it turns out it was the director of Lego friends. Oh, okay. And her creative, uh, her creative manager. Oh, and wow. they were there for a video shoot of this girl band um, called L2M, who, who were at the time the voices of Lego Friends. So those girls were voicing the animated characters. Yep. And yep. they were shooting a music video in LA that weekend, and they didn't have any jewelry. Like their jewelry person fell through, and they said, hey, do you have jewelry? Do you want to come tomorrow to the shoot and outfit <laughs> the girls? I was like, yes, yes, thank you. Oh my God. And yeah. so that started the relationship and we went to the shoot. The girls wore the work. It's in the video. Um, and at the time, one of, I, I don't remember who I was talking to, but one of, one of the big wigs up there um, in that department, I think he was running some of the video department um, in Lego and said, you could not have planned this yeah. kind of meeting. Even yeah. if you had wanted to do it, you couldn't have gotten in. So the way you got in is how you got in. Yeah. <laughs> That's like, what are the chances? Yeah. What are the chances? Right. And they're so, 
just the, the loveliest people. And then later that next year, no, later that year, they, uh, they said, hey, if you're ever in Denmark and we actually were going to be in Europe, in Sweden. So I'm like, you know, let's make a side trip to Denmark because we have contacts now. Yeah. And um, we met up with Philip and he gave us a special tour. This was while Lego House was just almost being finished. Yep. So it was the summer of 2017. So, you know, we got to watch it finish being built and uh, got the private VIP treatment. And, uh, and then later that fall, they flew me out to our house to do a couple of video collaborations for Lego friends. Oh, sweet. Yeah. Nice. And, yeah. and that piece of jewelry you were wearing that night, it is in a glass cabinet and <laughs> you prayed to it every night and you're like, you, thank you. <laughs> I should though, right? Yes. Nice. No, I still own that piece. I should hold on to it. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that that will be in a museum one day. The piece that, yeah, yeah, <clears throat> it's a lucky piece. I'll say that because that is piece. that is some real good timing. Um, you would have got there in the end, but um, um, I was going to say, um, and so um, with Lego, because uh, now they've obviously came out with dots. Do yeah. Do they sort of play a role in any of your jewelry? Like, as have when you saw them come out, were you like, oh yay? Especially because they've got like sparkliness to them. You're like, there's some sparkle in some of them, or are you? I don't know. I'm just throwing things out there. <laughs> you know, to be honest, I didn't know about dots till more recently. Oh, okay. And, and it was like, well, this is cool. So I haven't really uh, delved into all the pieces, parts. I mean, I do already have a lot of small, like one by one tiles and other uh, round square, other segmented pieces, parts, uh, yep. because it's just such a good jewelry scale. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think it's cool. They're branching more out because when I was talking with them from 2017 up through 2019, they were uh, vague talking in vague terms about a new jewelry line that they were working on. Yep. And the possibility of collaborating with them to be a consultant for it. Uh, so I was, I was surprised it took them this long to get there. Cause I know they had some false starts over the years. Yep. Um, and I think just false starts in general, trying to figure out the female, market honestly yeah bunch of boys think no <laughs> <laughs> um and with your exhibitions um yeah. for a noob like me um yeah. what what do people what, what should people expect when they go to even a jewelry exhibition what are we looking for? Uh, I guess it depends on if you're looking just to enjoy the artwork or if you're looking to collect, because there's definitely a whole uh, niche of people. And I'm part of this group, um, Art Jewelry Collectors. So yep. there's a group called the Art Jewelry Forum that was based uh, of collectors international that instead of collecting paintings or sculpture, they'll collect art jewelry. Oh, okay. Um, that, 
it's like miniature sculptures, right? So especially for those people who don't have much space yeah, uh, to have a lot of artwork, you can have, you know, like almost like mini paintings or mini sculptures in a smaller area um, and get creative about how you display it. And it's not like you can wear a painting out to, you know, to dinner. So <laughs> it becomes more of like a, um, a conversation piece, a conversation yep. starter, uh, a way that people express themselves as, you know, this is who I am or what I stand for. Cause there's some pieces that are uh, more narrative that have a story yep. and some that are, are just strictly more abstract for the visual uh, or even the use of materials and the mastery of the materials. So yep. there's a, whole range but what's great is is that there's something for everybody because the field is so vast yep uh, we don't snub our noses at anything in this field <laughs> um and do you see have you seen your jewelry in the wild like you know have you been walking down the street like aha um a few times yes but usually it's in places where there's a lot of other jewelers Oh, okay. Gathering, right? So they'll, they'll be like at at our uh, Society of North American Goldsmiths conferences or uh, art jewelry forum uh, field trips or gatherings. But what has happened to me is that I'll be wearing a piece of my own and going into a place, and this is all over the world, and people will recognize me. They're like, ah. "You're that Lego jeweler." Like they might not know my name, but they'll know me as the Lego jeweler. And uh, because I worked with this Art Jewelry Forum International group, uh, people, uh, one of the years I was chosen as the artist to make the pin for the membership. So I had to make 500 pins that went out oh, wow. to the membership. And it was great because it was a, a, a small piece and it was a magnetic back. Um, and I gave them extra pieces to put on top. So you're using some wedges and slopes to be a little bit more three-dimensional uh, feel more, I don't know, broachy, like, I guess. And, yeah. and, um, that was so super unusual to have an interactive piece that people could play with. So, uh, I definitely got attention and I like that. It's my international calling card now. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> they had to build it themselves. So half the work done. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, do you have a staff? Like, or did you before COVID have a staff of, because that's a lot of work. Yeah. That project got um, the fire under my butt going to get an assistant and have more of a, a regular assistant at the time. So through uh, Academy of Art College, which is local here, the, um, there's always students that want, you know, internships or they just want some extra side work or once they graduate, they, you know, they're like, oh, I want to work for somebody. So I was lucky for like three years. I had steady assistants coming, you know, like three times a week okay. uh, when I was doing a lot of the shows, more of the like craft shows. And I had more retail accounts that were just asking for more work. I physically couldn't do it. And I was more than happy to pay someone to help me uh, get that stuff out there. Yeah. Sweet. Thank you. Yeah. And because it's topical and this is going to age really well, how have you been going during COVID? How oh, wow. Yeah. 
So uh, <laughs> COVID really hit me creatively. It like, it was hard, I have to say. I found it really hard to be creative. Yep. And I found it really hard to find value in making stuff. Yep. Like, even though the things I make now, I imbue a lot more intention in terms of uh, um, the inspiration for the pieces I'm working on now is about nonviolent communication and how we can all understand and see each other better. Yep. Um, and how to be better and more kind to each other and to ourselves. It still felt weird to be trying to promote consumerism at a time when people were really hurting. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and it didn't feel right to me. And so I took a little break and I think it was good because, you know, I'm kind of a type A workaholic personality. Yep. And as an artist, uh, it was really easy to work 20 hours a day for decades. Yep. And then at some point when you stop, your body's like, uh-uh, you're not going to do this anymore. We're going to slow you down and you're not going to like it. And so I realized from my own health point of view that I just needed a break and a uh, break from everything, which was welcomed. And, yep. and I feel still feel like things are kind of – simmering you know i feel like you need a, sometimes a good simmer point in order to break out into another creative burst so yep. i pivoted a little bit or a lot to my wellness business so i have another business um focuses uh restorative yoga uh more physical movement meditation yep. things like this and that was what was really in need for this whole last, this whole time during this pandemic. So getting more online and teaching and helping people balance their nervous system and find some inner stillness and how to deal with the pain and um, the anger and the grief. Cause there's yep. so much, it's like a, we're in a blender tumult. And oh, yeah. even though, even though things are looking up, it's, we're going to be in the muck for a while. Yeah. Well, that's it. Exactly. Um, I, I know how you feel because especially with myself during COVID, um, <laughs> during COVID, it's still happening, people, but <laughs> during like because we got locked down hard in Melbourne compared to the rest yeah. of Australia. Um, but the fact that you couldn't go out, that's where I find my inspiration. And mm. like is that sort of – is that yeah. – do you think for yourself, like as in because you couldn't? Go out. Right. You you are locked in your room. Yeah. Yeah. You just. Yeah, yeah. No. That's that's. Yeah. You hit the nail on the head there. Like you weren't going out into the world to to get something new to pop in to like turn you on, right? Yeah. And even just being able to get out and walk to clear your head, we weren't doing as much either. Yep. Um, yeah. I I can see a bit of your wellness has crept into your jewelry design. Um, cause when I saw, um, to be seen, yeah. um, does the eye represent like the chakra? Is that sort of, or am I barking up the wrong tree? Like to me, I was oh. like, oh, okay. Is that like, you know, opening up the third eye sort of thing? 
Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, there's so much symbolism that the eye uh, is, is a symbol for. And for me, literally, it was being able to see, using it as I am willing to see you and I want to be seen. Yep. Uh, you know, as the title says. But yes, you're right, like about opening up your third eye, uh, being more self-aware. And that first step being more uh, finding the inner stillness, right? Like, how can you be still with yourself and be accepting of what's going on with you, having some self-compassion and self-kindness so that you're filled up to have compassion for the other, which is really the ultimate goal of can we be more kind to one another? Or if we can't, because we're feeling like I can't agree with this person, how can we come to an understanding of what they might, what their needs are bottom yeah. line, right? We all have the same basic needs and um, to recognize that would be a nice first step to come together in a time when there's so much division that is now uh, bo- boiling on the surface, I'll say. Yeah, it is big time. And um, for the people that don't know um, and <laughs> I'm going to get you to explain it better than me in a second. But the 2B scene, um, your exhibition is, they are sculptures or like, you know, jewellery of the eye, basically, yeah. but in different forms. Am I correct? Or are you right. like, wrong? It's, no, no, you're correct. It's a mix. And you can see back here, there's some back here. <laughs> so it's a, a range of scale. So... This was the first time I was play, playing with LED lighting. Oh. Because as you know, as you often hear with translucent um, place, people say, oh, does that light up? Yeah. <laughs> For years, I would hear that. And I wanted to be able to say, yeah, it does. <laughs> so that was the goal is to like, I made this huge, well, by huge for me, huge is like 24 inches so two feet sorry i can't convert to the meters right now but Eh, for us in the u.s you know two feet by uh, like 15 inches or so okay pretty big eye that was my eye uh three-dimensionally uh brought it out with layers of some reflective plex and then the top layers being a very three-dimensional lego plates and bricks especially for the eyelashes and then we my husband he's um, the tech and LED electrical maestro. So yep. he programmed and um, made the lighting part of it work so that the iris, which is all translucent parts, uh, plates, bricks, uh, that like uh, circles, cycles through some colors and is mes- a mesmerizing effect. So that is a very big sculptural piece where I wanted people to be able to see themselves in the reflection of the white of the eye Ah. and then also watch the iris and get in a meditative state. Oh, sick. Um, Yeah. And I really enjoyed that process. Like collaborating with my husband was wonderful as well as making something really big that I didn't have to think about the wearability of it. Yeah. 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 No, I like Um, it. Yeah. Because when I saw it, it was... Oh, continue. People Sorry. love that the best. That about on the show, people were <clears throat> most drawn to that piece. I think because of the scale, and it was lit, and it was something they hadn't seen before. Uh, and there's so much technology now that can make it easier to use lights 
on a smaller scale, uh, smaller yeah. battery packs, you know, smaller power packs and everything. So um, definitely uh, inspired by doing more of those. But then also in the show, there's uh, medium size, which I'll call, uh, you know, maybe like six inches by four or five inches and convertible wearable piece to be either like a necklace or a big pin or brooch yep. or, you know, hang it on the wall. Like I've got two of these hanging on the wall behind me. Uh, and then down to really small that are smaller, more what people think of jewelry scale, like an inch by uh, half an inch or something, pins and necklaces and things. So that at any point someone can relate to this piece. Good. Oh, nice. And with, um, your jewelry making you still do do a lot of metal smithing and so forth in there like do you, like because it's we have to stick it together somehow right <laughs> yeah yeah you got to make it work and wearable so it doesn't fall apart uh so i, I do still do some silversmithing work silversmithing um, yep yeah yeah and some work with recycled tin since that's my background from working for harriet for 10 years so i like to combine mixed media um, and, you know, over the years, it, I figured out how to make things a little bit more long lasting or more archival from a museum point of view. Yeah, because that's something to think about, too. Like, uh, you don't want to have a museum acquire a piece and then five years later or 10 years later, have them call you up and be like, can you come put this thing back together? <laughs> you don't want that. <laughs> <laughs> or have a, you know a uh, high, well-esteemed collector sends you an email saying, hey, this thing needs to be fixed. And like, how embarrassing is that? So I've had to really watch my pieces age over the years and realize, okay, I need to do more cold connection to make them last on their own or, yeah. or, or realize, you know, the white turn, the white Lego yeah. can turn yellow. Yeah. And, yep. you know, that's the patina of that color yep and yeah. and the reddish brown is very brittle oh my goodness dark red i just want to like rip my hair out yeah. you touch it and it breaks yeah so yeah <laughs> <laughs> um and um how do you go about cutting into lego let's say that like as in even drilling into it because it is not a mm -hmm. cheap <laughs> um medium to work in oh, um wow. like once you like to me up in my noobness once you make a cut i'm assuming yeah. you have to pretty much just be like yep. it's happening now or are there like ways you can you can get around it? There's, uh, it is super soft. The ABS plastic is forgiving in that you can drill really easily into it without hurting your hand or, or it. Like, you know, unless you have the reddish brown or the dark red, which will crack in front of your face. But um, cutting it works similar to what I was, my plastic skills from yep. back in the day, just taking certain files um, and smoothing it out and kind of, you know, fixing it that way. If you've made a false cut. Yep. Um, ah, okay. 
Yeah. Yeah. So I enjoy that. It's, it's super buttery to cut into and that a, a nice small soft file will um, smooth things out quite well so that I can even use some of my little polishing tools that I would use on harder plexi on, on the Lego plastic. The Lego plastic and make it nice. Oh, yeah. sweet. Okay. There you go. Yeah. Cause me, I'd be a nervous wreck. I'd be like, Oh, <laughs> yeah. I'm oh, only no. nervous if it's, if it's like a rare color that I've gotten like the last color on in, you know, in the world on Brooklink of something. And then, then I just have to be like, live with it. Right. Like, yeah. Fingers crossed. Yeah. That's I meant to do that cut. I meant to do that. That is now how it's going to be. I'm an artist. I'm just rolling with it. <laughs> right. Right. And I have this steadfast rule of no, um, no drilling or gluing after midnight. Ah. Uh, <laughs> that's when things go awry. Oh yeah. Like you can't unglue something. It's gone. Um, my second last question, um, it can, okay, this can be anything, but basically, um, your favorite, ask everyone this one, your favorite mm -hmm. Lego memory or memory to do with Lego or like, you know, just something that's really strong with you about your experience yeah. with Lego could be anything, yeah. could be someone bought this thing. You were like, I never thought anyone would have bought that but they did because it was massive or I thought it was just for me. Um, I don't know. <laughs> yes. Yes. I, um, I have, have a couple for you. So yeah. one of them is uh, my, my working with Lego and the videos we shot in our house. So we shot two video uh, for Lego friends where they just sent me these sets uh, before they were put out into the market they were still testing them and just said make whatever is inspiring to you and and we'll make a video about it and so I made these like and they're on my website the videos um, on the YouTube channel but they really gave me full reign to do what I wanted and when I showed up for the shoot it was just such a natural shoot like I wasn't scripted it was just me kind of going off the cuff and you know making my little animal face bag tags for kids. Yeah. Um, I made a few of those and just the response and the, uh, how great that company was to, or is to work with. And um, they loved what I was doing and it was just a joy. And to be there in Denmark um, and the director uh, who, uh, Kenneth Svonborg was, was just a delight. So I'll always have that memory of working with him um, and getting a whole lot of free Lego out of it, which was fantastic. I mean, I did get paid too, but I got a whole lot of free Lego. Um, so that was, that was, yeah. that's my one, one of my Lego fond memories. And the other one I have to say was that opening at the Los Angeles County Museum of Art and seeing my necklace prominently displayed in the museum, you know, under glass with the collector there. And, um, and it, my work is all that piece is also on the back of the catalog book. Oh, nice. So, so um, yeah, I'd say those, 
Those are my top two. Yeah. I was about to say, yeah, when something's displayed in a museum, it's like, and they're like, this is, this is here for, that would be. Yeah. Yeah. yeah this is here forever. You're yeah. like, ha ha. <laughs> and you put it over by the Mona Lisa, just, <laughs> just chuck it over there. <laughs> I want to outshine her. Uh, <laughs> um, and I lied when I said last question because I don't think I've said yeah. this one yet. Are there any plans, um, obviously, when we get better with COVID to, yeah. like, take your exhibitions on the road? Like, yeah. or is it, I don't know. I don't know. Are there plans? Like, what yes. are the plans for Amico? Yes, yes. There, then um, this was postponed this was supposed to have happened last summer, but it's happening. So, well, the plan is for it to happen next summer, next June in Portland. Um, there's an art, there's an art festival going on there that uh, the Lake Oswego art festival and a fine, fine art festival. And the, um, I'm the featured artist oh, and nice. it's a jewelry focus for this festival. Usually it, changes the media like ceramics or painting and so next year it will be jewelry and jewelry that makes a statement so what i'm really excited about is working with their community and highlighting some of the leaders in their community that are working with disadvantaged groups or uh, different minority groups lgbtq groups and taking those people's eyes and making them into um, LED small sculpture pieces that will adorn the wall and um, give them, shine some light on these people that are doing such good work in Portland. Oh, lovely. Well, that sounds yeah. awesome. I'll have to make a trip to Portland. Yes. <laughs> when we're allowed out of the country. Oh, um, <laughs> and last question. How can people find you? Like, what are your socials? Yes. So my website is Emiko O Rewear. So um, my name, Emiko O, and then R-E-W-A-R-E dot com. Yep. Um, on Instagram as uh, Emiko O Rewear. So basically the website, uh, Emiko O Rewear on Facebook. So everywhere. Uh, and then the yoga stuff is Amiko O Yoga, if people oh. are interested in um, more of those wellness offerings too. Yeah. Actually, I like that Amiki O Yoga, like O Yoga. Yeah, yeah I yeah. like that. <laughs> That's good. Um, awesome. And I'll pop that up in the, um, what do you call it? The show notes. Um, thank you, Amiko, for being on my podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure. I say that about everyone. And I'm always going to say it. I think it's my catchphrase now. But <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you and learning about jewelry. Well, thanks so much, Greg, for having me on. And hopefully I've made you an art jewelry uh, convert or at least more curious now. Yes. Well, it's one of those things. I talk to people and then I go down the rabbit hole of what they do. Um, I talked to someone, Shelley Corbett, about Lego photography. Right. And yeah. I went down to Lego photography rabbit hole so you never know i may start drilling into my lego 
you can always uh, <laughs> message me if you have any questions. No worries. <laughs> <laughs> thanks again. Right, thanks, Greg. Well, that's it for this week's episode of For the Love of Brick. If you want to find out more about Amico, go check out our show notes and you can follow the links to her website or just type in Amico Jewelry and I'm sure you'll find her. If you like this podcast, feel free to check out some of our other episodes. And if you know of anyone in the Lego world who you'd like me to have a chat to, just email me at fortheloveofbrick at gmail.com or message me on Instagram, Facebook or Twitter. And last but not least, don't forget to tell your friends about the podcast. Go and leave a review, a subscribe, a like, whatever. It all helps. Until next time, see you later.